Welcome to this episode of TBR, a series of the EVPL Footnotes podcast. TBR stands for To Be Read, that pile of books sitting on your nightstand, bookshelf, or table just waiting to be read. This is the podcast for people who embody the phrase, so many books, so little time, and for those who want to ignite a love for reading. Every month we'll be highlighting a few of the new items coming to the EVPL collection, from books to movies to our library of things. My name is Jamie, and I have with me today Christina. She's actually been a guest host for me before, mm-hmm. and so I'm excited to have her back. She has recently had something of an adventure. She visited, it was in Switzerland, correct? No, I actually went to the location in the UK. Okay, there is what is known as Labrie. Labrie. What is it called? You tell me about it. Ooh, it's a tall order. Um, it is sort of a retreat study center. It was started by a Christian philosopher, Francis Schaeffer, in like the 60s, I believe. And he started the original location is in Switzerland. He chose the title Labrie for shelter. It's a place for anyone who has questions about all the big topics in life. All the things Um, we wrestle with from the dawn of time. Exactly. All of those big questions. So there's, I think, about half a dozen locations worldwide at this point. And I went to the one in the UK, which is in this beautiful manor house in the English countryside. And I lived and worked alongside, you know, about 30 people over the three months. That's amazing. And it was a really incredible time. Yeah, I can only imagine. I've read some of the books he's written and I think it sounds like a great experience. Mm -hmm. Highly recommend. All right. Well, we're glad you're here with us today. Mm -hmm. And as we do every month, we are talking about some of the new titles. I mean, we get hundreds of titles every Mm -hmm. month, but we always pick out just a handful to -hmm. talk about that just caught our eye, that grabbed our attention. And Mm so I'm going to go first today. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to start with a book called His Majesty's Airship, The Life and Tragic Death of the World's Largest Flying Machine by S.C. Gwynn. Now, what's interesting about this, and that's why it stood out to me, is seven years before the Hindenburg disaster, which Mm -hmm. everybody knows about, Mm -hmm. in 1930 was a similar disaster. Hmm. But this was, at the time, the largest airship that had ever been built It was a much larger disaster, and many more lives were lost than the Hindenburg. And so this was a little glimpse of history of something that I had been completely unaware of. Mm -hmm. And so it was in 1930, that was when the crash occurred. Mm -hmm. It went down in what was described as a spectacular fireball. At the time of its building, it was the world's largest airship. And this is the story of its conception, its building, the complications, the complicated characters involved. Mm -hmm. They're not always pure motives and the design Mm -hmm. and the relationships that were all involved. And that all sounds really fascinating to me. So Mm -hmm. it is written by a historian, S.C. Gwynn. Mm -hmm. So I'm really interested to see how he handles this. And I really don't know a lot about airships other Mm -hmm. than the Hindenburg. And so this could level me up just ever so slightly. So I'm excited to read that one. Yeah. What was the title again? It's called His Majesty's Airship, The Life and Tragic Death of the World's Largest Flying Machine by S.C. Gwynn. Right. I'm going to check that one out. Yeah. Sounds fascinating. All right. You're up next. What book did you pick? Okay. The first one that caught my eye is called We Are Starlings Inside the Mesmerizing Magic of Murmuration by Robert Furrow and Donna Jo Napoli. 
illustrated by Mark Martin. It is a picture book, so it is for kids, but I have a soft spot for, for picture books. Oh, so, as do I. Uh, especially nonfiction ones, because I think that's something people often forget about. They're often shelved in nonfiction. I mean, because that's where they belong. Well, yeah. But <laughs> I think they can get overlooked because of that. Well, yeah, because people get drawn to the stories. Yes. And understandable. I mean, I am absolutely could list you some of my favorite picture books that mm-hmm. I would still read today. Because oh, yes. They're just so great. Absolutely. Uh, but you're right. You know, the nonfiction section of the children's area mm-hmm. is a little less explored than those bright, pretty ones that just yes. greet you as you walk into the Reed Center. Mm-hmm. But there are some gems hidden in there. Mm-hmm. And I think this is going to be one of them. I saw like the preview that Amazon lets you see a few pages uh, right, and it's right. these gorgeous watercolor illustrations, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite styles. And it's talking about the science and beauty of murmurations, particularly of starlings. But it's from the viewpoint of the flock, oh, which really? is very interesting that to me. That does sound interesting. It just looks beautiful. For those who may not connect this word, murmurations is those big clouds mm-hmm. of birds that are all just kind of flowing and moving yes. uniformly. Yes. And you can't tell how they all know how to go mm-hmm. this way and that way and up and down. And I love that. I love that so mm-hmm. much. And whenever I'm driving and I see that, I have to be careful that I don't get distracted from my driving because just watching the birds do that mm-hmm. is it's very mesmerizing to oh, me. Oh, it, it is. And it does always seem to happen when I'm, I'm driving. driving. Yes, exactly. I'm out in the countryside somewhere and I'm driving on along the road and there's other cars and I'm like, I want to stop so bad, but there's nowhere. Well, and I'm not, I hadn't thought of it from the point of view of the flock. So mm-hmm. that definitely adds a layer of interest. Yes. I look forward to reading that one. I already have it on hold. <laughs> so the next book, yes, which I actually have currently sitting on my nightstand, because <laughs> as soon as I saw it coming in, I'm like, we're putting this one on hold, mm-hmm. is called The Bird Hotel by Joyce Maynard. And the synopsis is that after a painful childhood, Irene, who's an artist, finds herself living in Central America in a beautiful but decaying hotel called La Llorona, located at the base of a volcano. And it spans four decades and is an array of characters of both local people and people coming to the hotel as tourists. And there's also a mystery involved. And so Mm. there's drama and there's humor and a little bit of magical realism as part Mm. of the storyline. And I think the thing that really drew me to this one, I mean, a lot of things, I love reading books outside of Mm. our borders, you know, Mm. I love those glimpses into other cultures. But the artist aspect really drew me because I always said I want to live in an artist colony. Mm. This is not likely to be fulfilled in reality. But when I read the book, I can vicariously enjoy Mm -hmm. that experience, I feel like. And also, I love the concept of all these wide and varied characters coming through this one location. I love a good Mm character-driven story. Oh, yeah, that's the best. The weirds and the quirks and the beautiful people and those ones that you love to hate. You know, so much fun. Man, you were just hitting it out of the park here, like one after another. My I mean, my TBR list is getting longer, Jamie. This is always the danger of <laughs> joining me on this. Mm-hmm. All right, what's up next for you? All right, uh, it is another nonfiction. I'm realizing almost everything I picked is nonfiction. That must be the mood I was in. People get to pick what they pick here. All right, so it is The World of Sugar, How the Sweet Stuff Transformed Our Politics, Health, and Environment Over 2,000 Years by... I'm apologizing now if I mispronounce this name, but I'm going to go with Olbi Bosma, which is how it looks. 
And I mean, the subtitle kind of tells it all, talking about everything up until maybe COVID and like the very recent history, but talking about like environmental devastation and obesity and the slave trade back in the day, how all of these terrible things have been driven by our love of and addiction to sugar. Mm. And I just, I love the idea of a survey of world history focusing on one tiny thread yeah if that makes sense yeah it does i mean i really feel like these little things that are just almost a background to our life Mm -hmm. we don't even think of having them or not having them they just exist as part of our world Mm -hmm. and yet they have such huge impact yes not just on us, but as you say, all the politics and the mm-hmm. ecological factors that mm-hmm. come into play. Yes. And I'm thinking of things like chocolate. People talk a lot mm-hmm. about chocolate and buying fair trade chocolate as well as some coffee. Oh, yeah. And tea. Because of similar things. And it made me think of a book that I read in the past called A History of the World in Six Glasses. And it's Tom Standage was the author of this book. And this is not a newer book, but it talks about beer and Mm -hmm. tea and coffee and wine and how that resonated when each one came into play in the history Mm -hmm. of mankind. And Mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, one of the interesting things I do recall from reading that book was how beer was relied on as a healthier option than water at the time. Mm because water was not, they didn't have the purification systems that we mm-hmm. have. And so beer at that time, a much weaker yes. strain. I mean, you weren't mm-hmm. getting that high alcohol content, mm-hmm. but it, it was safer to drink than much of the water in the communities that developed it. Interesting. So I'm agreeing with you. I think exploring how sugar, just that one mm-hmm. little tiny ingredient oh, yeah. has such a big impact on us. And I know I've seen books on our shelves that do the same thing with other things. Like I think there's one called salt and and other common things like that. Like you said, that we just take for granted and don't even think about at this point. Every now and then when I'm opening my spice cabinet and I I think about how world exploration began because they're Mm -hmm. like, ooh, they have pepper or whatever, (laughs) you know, or cinnamon or cloves. Uh And and how much money those things cost. Mm -hmm. Only the very wealthy had those things. And I'm like, wow, look at the wealth in my little covered here Uh (laughs) uh-huh you know it Mm -hmm. shapes our history it does all right so the next one up for me is actually the second book that i'm aware of by this author his name is tim mason he wrote a book i read a couple years ago called the darwin affair Mm -hmm. and so he incorporates historical figures and it's a course of fiction but it uses the historical figures of that time period in it Mm -hmm. and so in the darwin affair it was around this controversy of the darwin theory of evolution and so this one is The Nightingale Affair. And it sounds really good because okay. I'm a fan of a whodunit and a fan of historical fiction. And so in this one, someone is stalking and killing the nurses that are working with Florence Nightingale. And they're leaving a signature behind with each death, which is their lips are sewn together with embroidered fabric bruises. And then when the main suspect, they're investigating and the main suspect takes mm-hmm. his own life and they're like, okay, case closed. Mm-hmm. Twelve years later, when the women's suffrage movement is growing in London, mm-hmm. suddenly women's bodies began showing up with that same telltale signature. And Charles Field, who's the main character mm-hmm. and the detective in this book, uh, The Darwin Affair, mm-hmm. is reopening the investigation. And so I like a good whodunit. The serial killer angle is interesting and, of course, set in history. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to read that one. Oh, 
Oh, sounds gruesome, you but know, good. I have to find that sweet spot. This is just me personally. I don't go for the cozy mysteries. Yeah. Those are a little too soft for me, mm-hmm. but I also don't like the super duper gruesomes. That's fair. And so I just kind of have to read the blurb and go, where's this one going <laughs> to land? Well, having read his work before, mm-hmm. I know that I can read this and enjoy it and not be traumatized by it. <laughs> <laughs> That's always good. I, I prefer my reading to be less traumatizing. Mm-hmm. More enjoyable. Yes. All That's right. Fair. Next for you. All right. Like I said, another nonfiction called Celebrity Nation, How America Evolved into a Culture of Fans and Followers by Landon Jones. He is the former magazine editor for People magazine. Well, I'll just read a little bit of the blurb rather than trying to summarize. Let's see. So he is the one who coined the term baby boomer. And he is writing this as an exploration into how and why fame no longer stems only from heroic achievements, but from the number of likes and shares and what this change means for American culture. So all about fame and its dark side. Mm -hmm. And I'm very fascinated by that shift that Mm -hmm. it talks about of celebrity which probably goes back to like the early 2000s. I was a kid then, so <laughs> I don't have a very clear memory, but I feel like from retrospect, things I have read about that it seems like it was early 2000s that that shift towards people who are famous for being famous. Just being famous. Yeah. Not that, for accomplishment, mm-hmm. but for the fact that somehow they're known. Yes, that it's not necessarily that they were an amazing actor or singer or anything. They just managed to somehow yes so i'm i'm very fascinated by that and then you have obviously like with tiktok and instagram and all the influencers and micro influencers and all of that i mean even with the tiktokers i can Mm -hmm. see it because they're creating yes they're creating content whether Mm -hmm. it's a dance move or Mm -hmm. a persona yes or whatever Mm-hmm. That that sounds like an interesting sociological look at why we are wired to go, ooh, look at what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people that follow certain mm-hmm. people's every move practically. Yes. It's not my desire. Yeah, no, thank you. If I if I had to be famous, I think I'd rather be famous as like an author or a voice actor, something mm-hmm. where like I could There's still go about my daily life yes. and not have to deal with that. All right, so moving on. Yes, what do you have next for me to add to my TBR pile? (laughs) The Midnight News by Joe Baker. Mm -hmm. Now, I became aware of Joe Baker when she wrote the book Longborn, which for Pride and Prejudice fans, Longborn Mm. is the home of Elizabeth Bennett and her parents and sisters. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big Jane Austen fan. Yeah. And so Longborn was the book that was... Pride and Prejudice from the perspective of the servants. Ooh. Like the whole scene about how Elizabeth Bennett had her petticoat six inches deep in mud Mm -hmm. and the servant trying to get that mud out of the home. You know, she had to clean these petticoats. She might feel differently about traipsing through the woods. It wasn't necessarily comedic. Mm-hmm. It was just a shift in perspective Ooh. and how the servants saw the family and the things that happened there. Mm-hmm. That's why I enjoyed that. So in this case, the Midnight News, it is set in 1940 London, and the main character, Charlotte Richmond, is struggling. Enemy planes are flying over the city. Her brother, who went to France, never returned, and she lives in the rubble of the Blitzkrieg. Now she's filled with foreboding. Someone has been stalking her friends, and it seems to be that they're now targeting her. 
The concept sounds very much like a couple of TV shows I've watched. I've watched uh, the period series, The Bletchley Circle, mm-hmm. and also some parts of Foil's War, mm-hmm. both set in that same time period. Mm-hmm. And in those cases, and it sounds like in this case, so much was going on. There was a shortage of manpower because mm-hmm. so many were going off to fight in war. There was chaos because mm-hmm. of the bombings. And so crimes were kind of not being solved because oh, wow. there was no focus. There was no attention. Everybody mm-hmm. was just day-to-day surviving. Yeah. And so in those shows, and I believe it sounds like in this book, crimes are being committed, but they're not being noticed mm. because so much is already going on and there's yeah. so much chaos. And so it's an under-the-radar kind of mystery. Is this really going on? Why are they after her? really after her and there was a hint in the blurb that i had read on goodreads that she's not entirely sure she can trust her perspective on this whether it's really happening or just the stress of everything she's going through is affecting what she's seeing i love an unreliable narrator yes yes so i'm curious to find out and again since joe baker did such a wonderful job Mm-hmm. And Longbourn, I'm I'm looking forward to this, and uh, it is also sitting on my nightstand right now. <laughs> <laughs> Are you actually going to get through all of these? I mean, uh, there may be returns and renewals because I'm still trying to finish the current book I'm reading, and as soon as I finish that one, I have three sitting on my nightstand mm-hmm. that I need to tackle. <laughs> what are you reading currently? I am reading Ken by Shauna K. Roddenberg. Mm-hmm. She's a local author. It's okay. a memoir. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's actually, we're reading it for the book club that I host at McCullough. Oh, fun. Uh, the One More Chapter book club. We're meeting tomorrow night, and the author's actually going to be present. Whoa. So we're going to get to talk to her about her book and do a little Q&A. Um, do keep an eye on our calendar, because these events happen from time to time. And that one sounds so special to actually have the author present. Yes, I'm really looking forward to her coming. Mm. All right, what do you have next? All right, my final one. I throw in something just for fun at the end. It's the sequel to Shazam, which came out a few years ago. A lot of DC movies are hit and miss, but I really got a kick out of Shazam when it came out. And it is the story of Billy Batson, who is an orphan living in a foster home, getting into all kinds of trouble. And through a series of events, he becomes a superhero in that When he says Shazam, he turns into an adult who is a superhero and has similar some similar powers to Superman. And it was a really sweet story, really fun. And the sequel came out earlier this year called Shazam Fury of the Gods. I completely just didn't go see it in theaters. I missed it. And so when I saw it was coming out in May, I was like, boom, put that on hold immediately. (laughs) I need to see it. I know sequels are never as good as the first one. That's often true. There have been exceptions. There have. And maybe this is one of them. I don't know. I've been steering clear of spoilers. So if it's terrible, don't tell me. (laughs) I I have no idea. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, I am looking forward to it. I recently watched the movie Cocaine Bear. Oh my goodness, that is fun. Did you watch it? Yes, I did. It was different than I expected. <laughs> it was very different than I expected. I was expecting the comedy. Mm-hmm. I don't think I expected that much blood. <laughs> oh, it is it is definitely a horror comedy, which yeah. is one of my favorite genres. I don't like horror Right, but somehow that intersection of horror and comedy just it I really it. enjoy it's like it. Beetlejuice. Yes, I've not seen Beetlejuice, so you know there's a lot of 
those movies that everybody's seen that I'm just finally getting around to. Mm. So I think I watched that for the first time last Halloween. Mm. I should put that on the list for October. All right. So my next one is my bonus one, just Mm -hmm. in case we have the time, is Atalanta by Jennifer Saint. And it's a retelling of the Greek myths involving the title character, goddess Artemis, Jason and the Argonaut, and the quest for the Golden Fleece. Ooh. And I love a good retelling. Mm -hmm. And so along with Circe and the Song of Achilles, Mm -hmm. I feel like this needs to be read. I love the fresh takes and the new perspectives and the different points of view, sort of like the murmuration book. Instead of the point of view of us looking up, them looking down. So Mm -hmm. I don't know the perspective that this one's going to approach, Mm -hmm. but I'm really curious about it because I do love the folktales and the myths and Mm -hmm. the retellings thereof. (laughs) It sounds amazing. Yeah. All winners. Yeah, it's it's dangerous. Uh-huh. It's dangerous. Oh no, I look at the list that is on our website every week or every Me couple too. weeks, the all the new things yes. that are coming in and every time I put at least one thing on hold and I'm like, "When when are you going to find time to read this?" I I ask myself this very question. I do the same the first day of the week that I work. I check what's mm-hmm. been newly added to the nonfiction and to the fiction books and also the movies. Yes. It's so exciting. It's like Christmas. It is every single week. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I love it. So got a few minutes left here. Mm -hmm. So you work in the outreach department. Yes. Is that correct? And you are newly returned to EVPL. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing there. Well, I am still new to the role, but for those who don't know, the outreach department, we are tasked with bringing the library to you outside of our physical locations. So we do a lot of events out in the community, going to events that are already planned by other people like Market on Main will be there this summer. But we also go to events at schools and we've done tech help at assisted living facilities and that sort of thing. So just trying to reach out into the community at large and also especially focusing on people who might have barriers to accessing the library, whether that's they physically can't get here or they have trouble with technology or don't have access access to the technology or whatever that may be. Right, right. Mm -hmm. It's really great. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, thank you for joining us today. One more question before we go. Yes, absolutely. What are you currently reading? So, all right, I have to confess, and this is so sad, like (laughs) as a librarian, this is sad. I have been in a horrible reading slump since like February. And it's killing me because I set my Goodreads challenge. I set it very low this year because I was like, you know what? We're going to take time and read some longer books. No, what I'm doing is not finishing things. (laughs) I keep picking things up and not feeling it. I am reading several books right now. I know one that I have been reading for far too long is called The Lies of Locke Lamora by Scott Lynch. It's the first book in the Gentleman Bastard series. Oh, wow. And it is high fantasy, all about following a kid who's now an adult over the course of his journey to becoming a master thief. And I don't know exactly where it's going to go from there, but he is now a master thief and running a long con and the world building is incredible. I'm enjoying it immensely, but I'm also still slogging through. I understand the struggle. You know, people assume if you're struggling through a book, it's because it's not a good book. Mm-hmm. And 
That is, I, I have run in so many times to, this is a really good book mm-hmm. and I'm really enjoying it mm-hmm. when I can carve out the time and yes. energy to read it. Yes. And sometimes the struggle has nothing to do with the quality of the book. Oh, yeah. So. And sometimes I have every intention of reading and then I get in bed and I get my little nightlight in my book and I am too tired. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. that's good. Yeah, you've got that. I've got Ken. Mm-hmm. My nonfiction memoir, it's really fascinating. I'll just touch on it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Her family was in a cult growing up, Ooh. in and out a little bit. And so it had positive and negative impacts on her mm-hmm. family. It tended to be more negative, mm. but it was her navigating that and how it shaped her and mm. her relationships with her parents and with the outside world, as yeah. we would put it. I'm especially looking forward to the author being at that particular oh, um, yeah. book club so that we can talk about that. In fact, I noticed that all on the back of the book, Joanne Cash, mm-hmm. who of course is related to June Carter and Johnny Cash, mm. wrote how much that book resonated with her because mm-hmm. it's not just the cult aspect of it, but she also grew in a very Appalachian mm. way of living. Oh, yeah. Which is very relatable to a lot of people in this Mm -hmm. part of the world and not far away. And it's really interesting to see how a lot of that culture influenced her as well. Mm -hmm. Anyway, well, thank you for joining me today. I hope to have you another time. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you're back at EVPL. I'm glad to be back. TBR is a series of the EVPL Footnotes podcast. Please like, follow, and subscribe for more great episodes. For comments or questions, our email address is podcast at evpl.org.